Are you the one to come? Or are we to wait for another? This is the question that John the Baptist asks from prison. Brian McLaren, in his book, Faith After Doubt, describes four stages of faith, of the faith journey. Simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. When I hear the words of John the Baptist from prison, I ask, what happened? He had such certainty, such confidence in his proclamation, prepare the way of the Lord. He confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the one to come, and now here he is in prison and he's wondering. We can see that he has moved, if we apply Brian McLaren's four stages of the faith journey, we can see that he has moved to the place of perplexity. He began with simplicity, the proclamation of the prophet's teachings coming to fulfillment in Jesus as the Messiah. He navigated the complexity as Pharisees and Sadducees and others challenged his proclamation that Jesus was the one. But now here he is in prison and he's wondering. It's not turning out like he thought it would. But Jesus speaks to John the Baptist in prison via his disciples and says to share with him, remember, he says, tell John what it is that you see, what it is that he saw. And Jesus recounts the actions he has done, which are a fulfillment of the prophet's proclamation, even way before John the Baptist was on the scene. He then goes on to say to the crowds, further what we read in the gospel today, but there are a couple of lines that are lectionary leaves off that complete this speech um, that Jesus is giving to those that are there. Those crowds that he's speaking of, and two, he says to them, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John came, and if you are willing to accept it, he, John, is Elijah who is to come. Let anyone with ears listen. Jesus always throws in that line, let anyone with ears listen, because he knows that it has something, it's a deeper listening, not just with the ear of the sound, but in the heart. I do like how Brian McLaren describes the journey of faith, from simplicity to complexity to perplexity to harmony. And I invite you to join me in considering how it describes the journey of faith for each of us. You might know that youth ministry has been my passion for as long as I can remember. It was in middle school that I came to love being a part of my youth group and the ministry that I experienced from the people in my church. And when I went into the ministry, I thought I would do youth ministry all the days of my life. I trained for it, I studied for it, so, you know, surprise, surprise, that my age range has expanded beyond um, about a six-year span. But I say all of this to highlight my passion for the journey of faith, and in particular, what happens when we hit puberty and start the rest of our growing up. James Fowler, a theologian, wrote in his book, Stages of Faith, which was published in 1976, his discovery of a correlation about how our faith develops along with our physical development. 
He likened it to Erickson's stages of faith and found that when we hit puberty, we begin to be able to think of things differently than we ever could think of them before. Our faith, which is simple in our childhood, filled with figurines and storybooks with simplified versions, which we will hear next week in our pageant, that's how it's supposed to be. Because before we hit puberty, we see things in a simple way. And if our parents tell us it's true, then we believe that it's probably true. So this is what James Fowler discovered, is that in our adolescent time, when we come into our brain being able to conceive of things differently, we begin to see that the world is complex. It's not so clear anymore. And at times, we may start to feel perplexed about the perplexity. When people feel perplexed about their faith, they can assume that something is wrong. They don't have that peaceful feeling any longer that they had as a child. It can give a sense of unsettledness. When it gets perplexing, we have to figure out what to do. We can't live in this constant state of perplexity. Something has to be done. Some order has to be made. When our world order, our narrative, and the structures which support that narrative come undone, they need stability so that we can function in the world. Something has to be done to address the unsettledness. And I'll just say from my two decades in ministry, it's in the perplexity of faith that people usually drop out or drop back. When they drop back, it's because they want to fall back into the simplicity of their childhood so that it can all make sense and be peaceful again. Or sometimes they drop out. They say something like, well, something's wrong with Christianity. I feel perplexed and it promises a peace of God which passes all understanding and it's just not snapping together. Fowler found that most people in their faith development stop growing in their faith development around the age of 16. The faith that they experience in their adolescence kind of is their working definition for all their lives unless they're willing to open themselves to consider a new way. As Christians, we can proclaim that God brings into harmony all of the perplexity through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where it all comes together, and it's from that which it all radiates. And this is what we hear in the Gospels and in the letters of the New Testament over and over again. In Christ, all things make sense. Indeed, John the Baptist proclaimed this. When we read in John's Gospel, the fourth Gospel, in chapter 3, we hear the telling of John's proclamation of who Jesus is. And these are the words we hear. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he spent some time there with them and baptized them. John also was baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because water was abundant there. And people kept coming and were being baptized by John. John, of course, had not yet been thrown into prison. Now, a discussion about purification arose between John's disciples and a Jew. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that's the familiar term used for a teacher, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you testified, here he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, No one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. 
He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. These were the words of John as he stood out there in the river of Salome, of Salem and baptized those that came to him. This was John the Baptist's world order, his understanding of how God was going to work in the world, that Jesus, who had come to him and asked to be baptized, who he was preceding, he was beginning to remember and understand himself in relationship to Jesus. And it was going along, all along, until he ended in, landed in prison. And that's where we find ourselves in our gospel lesson today from Matthew's gospel. The reason John was so confused is because time and again it was anticipated that the Messiah's coming would establish a new world order, a new kingdom, a political structure. So I want to look at politics because this is where we often look for that structure too, do we not? Just like the people from thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, we can look to politics to think that's where the answer is. I'll choose an example with Brian McLaren's four stages of, or four stages of faith um, that we can look at from a distance. We'll just talk about China for a second. In that political structure, there is a joy of simplicity. There is a supreme ruler, and that makes it easy. So when it gets complex, you say, well, the supreme ruler will handle this and tell us what to do. It's good. Until it gets perplexing. We've witnessed this in the last month in our news. How is it that COVID is still getting people and there's no way to avoid it? And now maybe this isn't working as well as we thought it was, right? And the people said, this is not working like you said it would. And they look for harmony and the Supreme Ruler says, I will bring about peace. And they say, good, because that's how it works. Can you see that model? Let's go back then to the Roman Empire. It was simple then too, the Roman Empire ruled. They ruled the land and everybody knew their place. It was a little complex for the Jews because they were given only so much freedom under Rome's rule and sometimes they weren't sure when they stepped out of lines until Rome came down heavy on them. And they were then struck with the perplexity of it. They were asking themselves a question which I think is probably a feature of the perplexed phase. How can we worship God freely while Rome is dictating that effort? And they wanted a king to bring harmony, a new king, like David was a king, to establish the world order for them so that they might worship God freely as they had been taught through the father Abraham and taught through Moses. And it was because of their insistence that it be a political reign that Herod freaked out. You remember, if you do, that after the wise men came and left Herod to visit the baby, they didn't return, and Herod wanting to cover his bases, had every newborn under two years old, every Hebrew boy under two years old killed because he was afraid of a political takeover. This wasn't the first time that the Hebrew people were targeted for death, and it wasn't the last. You might remember in the scriptures again that this happened when Moses was born. The pharaoh of Egypt, noticing that the Hebrew people who were enslaved there in Egypt and everything relied on their free labor, got nervous because they were growing in number. He was, that's really all it was. They were getting to be too many. So he decided to have every Hebrew boy 
murdered. And you might remember that Moses' mother hit him, that she made a basket and covered it with tar so that the water wouldn't penetrate the boat, the basket, and she put her baby in a river and let it float down the river past the Pharaoh's house, hoping that someone might see him and rescue him. And Pharaoh's own daughter saw him and rescued him. Do you see how it is that when we think that this is a political picture, we become destructive? Indeed, it is still happening. Anti-Semitism is still happening. And we have to continue to speak out against it in order to bring to people's attention that it is not in the elimination of anyone that reigning, that a kingdom is established. If it's not one group, it's another, and you know this, whether it be LGBTQ issues, whether it be the, the fact that trans people are murdered at a higher rate of any demographic than any other, whether it be about... Um, anti-abortion or women's health care or anything. What country was it this week that outlawed um, sex before marriage or sex? Yeah. Really? You see what I'm saying here that when we think it's in a political realm, we set ourselves up for failure because we set ourselves up for destruction and the violence that Jesus is speaking of. But we want a new kingdom and Jesus promised one, God promised one in Jesus. That's what we come to celebrate at Christmas. Time and again, people think that they need to exclude certain people in order for the kingdom, as they envision it, to be established. But Jesus came to bring a new way. And can we hear it even in our own day? The pandemic definitely unsettled us. Things that we took for granted or understood to be how the world worked, we understand now it doesn't quite work that way. It could have been our own sayings that got us through, this idea that we can protect ourselves, this idea that we can control our future, this idea that if you just do the right thing, you'll reap the reward. And the pandemic totally turned all that up, upside down. And we became aware of the inequities in our society, largely along racial lines. And for many of us, our jaw dropped. Our, our jaw dropped. Oh my goodness. I had no idea. This is perplexing. This is complex and it's perplexing because I don't know how to solve for it. What are we going to do? And it's in that question that we hear God speak. Because only God can bring it into harmony for us. This is where this moment of perplexity is the place where this relationship grows more deep and more strong. And it can only come about in God. Indeed, it is in relationship with God that we move from perplexity to harmony. The perplexity reveals that simplicity is no longer an option. Yes, you can decide to drop back and make your life this big so that it can all make sense. Or you can decide to drop out and give up. But God calls us into a different way. In order to live and to thrive, we need the new awareness to come into focus again. And relationship, which comes about through studying the scriptures and prayer, is one of the ways that happens. And if you're not doing that on your own, studying scripture and praying, then hang out with people who do, and you'll get the hang of it. And if you are doing that on your own, reading scripture and praying, then hang out with people that do too, so that we can all get the hang of it together. Isn't that why you come to church? Isn't that why you came today? 
It is in our community that we learn to live into the two greatest commandments which God gave to us and which Jesus reiterated, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And we know in the first minute that we commit to it, we end up failing on it. So it is that we come together to encourage and to strengthen one another in living into this kingdom. Because for 2,000 years, we've been in the already and not yet dimension of faith. Already, God began bringing about his kingdom when he came among us, Emmanuel. And yet, God's kingdom has not been established on earth. How do we live into the beginning of God's reign, even when the external doesn't reflect it? We do it by practicing Jesus' words that we love one another. That's our work until God brings it into harmony. God did bring the perplexity into harmony with the birth of Jesus. That's why we sing all those carols. Good Christian men rejoice. Hark the herald angels sing. What are some others? What are some other carols? Tell me. Joy to the world. world. Another one. Oh, holy night. Another one. What? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. What's another one? Come on, people, this sermon's going to go on a long time without your help. Silent night? What? What did somebody else say? Away in a manger? First Noel? Fideste Fidelis? What was the other one someone said? Oh, little drummer boy? We have so many. Just go to the Christmas section of the hymnal and you'll be like, oh, write that one. Why didn't I think of that one? Because they convey to us that God has begun God's reign in Jesus the Christ. And so we come together again, again to remember this. Oh, right, God brings about the harmony. We can't do it on our own. We can't make God come among us. God comes among us. God himself makes God come among us. God has said, I am among you. And so it is that we begin to look and to look again for how God is bringing us through perplexity into harmony, which can only happen in him. That's where we discover it. That's where we know it to be. It's not to say it's not in other places too, but that's where we know it. We know that God brings together the harmony that we long for and that we are made for in Christ. So my dear friends, as you listen to the news and you pray the realities, lift them up in remembrance that God is bringing about something new. Trust that God will bring about the harmony that we long for and will do it in a way you never imagined As we commit ourselves to following him, keeping his commandment that we love one another. Amen.